This is the Leadership Institute School Board Campaign Training Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Neary. This year, the Leadership Institute launched this new program for conservatives interested in running for school board or being involved in a school board campaign. Our podcast features faculty members from the new school board campaign training program and other expert guests discussing how to design, wage, and win successful school board campaigns. You can learn more and take the program online at leadershipinstitute.org slash school board. My guest today is Rick Tyler, longtime conservative strategist and the author of Still Right. Rick can be frequently found providing insight on current events on cable news. Rick, welcome to the podcast. Ron, it's great to be with you. Great to, great to have you. Uh, always a delight, and thank you so much for your great work as a member of Leadership Institute's faculty. Uh, we're talking today uh, about a very specific subject, so we're going to have, this is going to be a shorter podcast episode, but it's meant to address a particular aspect of, of, uh, of school board campaigns and campaigns more broadly, and that is how, we, how and when we communicate what uh, to voters in a, in a campaign. And I want to introduce this topic uh, with uh, very, you know, I'll, l- let me take you back real quick to uh, 1996. So in 1996, uh, I went to Iowa uh, in support of uh, Steve Forbes, who was running for president uh, in that year. And the, the front runner uh, was uh, Bob Dole, who was from Kansas, because every politician in Kansas thinks they could be president, because uh, Iowa is next to Kansas, and there's a lot of similarities there. Uh, but um, uh, Bob Dole was the front runner for much of that campaign. Steve Forbes got into the campaign uh, very, very late and started with a massive advertising uh, buy and uh, just almost unprecedented, huge amount of money, very similar to what Michael Bloomberg did uh, in terms of getting in the can- Democratic campaign late in 2020 and spending a, a ton of money. Steve Forbes, nine days before the Iowa caucuses, was in first place. He ran all these attack ads against Bob Dole, and he ultimately finished in fourth place in Iowa. He went from first to fourth in nine days, in part because he started his campaign just by going on the attack. And what he didn't follow is the process that we teach here at the Leadership Institute, where we incorporate the lessons learned from many other campaigns, and that, Rick, you can't really start your campaign by going on the attack solely, can you? No, you have to go through a process, and it makes sense of exactly what you say. I actually have a Steve Forbes story, which sort of relates to this. And uh, I was the executive director of the main Republican Party, and we were doing a fundraiser, and I invited Mr. Forbes, who had recently announced his campaign, to come to Maine and, and uh, participate in a fundraiser. And they agreed, and he came. And, and before the fundraiser, uh, I had the privilege of taking Mr. Forbes to coffee, and we went to his choice, the the local Friendly's restaurant, which is was a well-known New England great es- institution establishment. And he impressed me very much because he uh, he ordered uh, without ever glancing at the menu, meaning he had been there before, and so he was very familiar with the Friendly's uh, menu. And I don't remember what he ordered actually, but the waitress pulled me aside when I was paying for the for the check. Right, so here's a multi-millionaire billionaire. I'm paying the coffee bill. But anyway, anyway, I thought was that was funny. And uh, she said, how do I know him? And I said, oh, that's Mr. Steve Forbes. And she says, oh, yes. His father was married to Elizabeth Taylor. 
And I, <laughs> I had to process that because I left my political mindset and had to go to my entertainment, you know, mindset. And then, yes, that's right. Yes, yeah, Malcolm <laughs> Forbes was right. Was married to it one time, but see, she knew the name, but she didn't attach any image, political image, to Mr. Steve Forbes. She didn't really know who he was. She knew his father. And in any time which campaign is about making a choice, and therefore it's got to be about persuasion, which means you have to talk about issues, um, when you begin to argue those things, and I don't know who you are from, from Adam, well, why are you in my face and why am I listening to you? So we have what we call, what I call, you know, six steps of political persuasion. And the first is name ID, right? But that's obvious. I mean, people have to know your name or they can't vote for you, which is why James Carter went through so much trouble in all the states to get his name listed on the ballot, not as James, because no one knew him as James. They knew him as Jimmy. And so Jimmy Carter spent a lot of time uh, putting his name on the ballot because as Jimmy, because that was part of his name ID. And so you have to get name ID. The second is you have to develop a positive image around who you are. And once you have name ID and a positive image, well, then you're actually allowed to talk about issues, as, as I mentioned before, because if you, if you just launch into issues, particularly, as you say, Ron, attacks, people are going to be just, who is this person? However, if you if they know your name and they like you, then you can talk about issues. And once you start talking about issues and people begin to ag agree with you, now is the time where I can contrast those issues with my opponent. And that's all about making a choice because without, a, without contrast, there is no choice. And so you must establish the contrast. And I, I, often, tell my, I often tell my candidates that if you are effective in these in this, these first four steps, establishing a name ID, getting a good image or, or about your name, talking about issues, and setting the contrast of the campaign, what's going to happen to you? Well, you're going to be attacked. Why? Because you're being effective. So instead of being like, oh my goodness, I'm being attacked, what is this terrible? No. When you're attacked in a campaign, when you are the challenger, and you're attacked, now I know it is working. Why? Because my challenge, my the incumbent realizes that I'm being so effective. I'm drawing people, time and money and money into my campaign. I'm being effective. Of course, I have to attack them. Right, because nobody kicks a dead dog. Yes, no one's going to like. Remember, think about the the incumbent's mindset. I'm doing a great job. Why should you fire me? I don't want you to know even the name of my opponent. And if and if I'm the incumbent. And everybody says, well, we know, you know, Rick is the incumbent and they don't have any idea about who's challenging me or what they're running on or what their issues are, or what their contrasts or why they're different. Then I don't want them to know any. I'll never mention my opponent's name because that's only going to give them credibility. I would certainly never attack them because that's only going to draw the contrast between me and the opponent. All of this leads to the, your get out the vote. How does that lead to get out the vote? Well, because if we get to the point in a campaign where we are basically defining each other. So you could call it attack, but we are basically contrasting each other through the campaign and giving the voters the choice of what the campaign is really about. And it is in that whoever wins that contrast contest is probably going to win the campaign. If it advances to that level 
where you actually have a real debate about what the differences in the campaign are. Then all of a sudden people have an idea of which side they're going to fall on and wh who's making the best case. So when you do voter ID, that is in the last parts of the camp, final weeks of the campaign, you're starting to call around uh, in your voter ID program. Is if, if the candidate pain was held today, would you vote for, you know, Tom the Republican or, or Jim the Democrat? If you haven't done all of these things, they're either going to say, I'm going to vote for the incumbent, or they're not going to know either one one of the candidates' names, and you won't get any good information because what is an ID program for? An ID program for is so you can get a list of names of people I'm going to turn out on election day. And if you have not done all of this work, you won't get a good voter ID response. And it will be just be a, it'll be a crapshoot. You'll just have no idea what's going to happen on election, election day. Actually, I do. You'll probably lose. Um, but if you go through this step, this step-by-step -step process, with establishing name ID before you talk about issues, establishing a good image around your name before you talk about issues, then talk about issues, then contrast your issues, then wait for the attack, <laughs> and that will lead to a great voter ID program. But you got to do it in phases. You got to do it in order. And it could be compressed, but it still has to be done. Of course, because election day has a a definitive time. We know when when our going out of business sale is. So if the earlier we start, the more time we have to establish our name ID. Remember our, our, our uh, incumbent our, as a challenger, and we mostly work on challenger campaigns because we're mostly trying to overthrow the establishment. Right? <laughs> so, so our challenger uh, needs a lot of time to establish the name ID, and the incumbent doesn't want them to establish name ID. And so, but, uh, and then, so how do you get name ID? There, well, there are lots of ways to do it. Campaign signs are a good way to get name ID. Wearing your name badge at events is a good name ID. When you talk about yourself, when you get an opportunity to speak uh, to campaigns, you might want to insert your own name into your own speech several times to get keep, you know, say, my mother said, Rick, you know, just keep pounding on the name. And then if you are polite and pleasant and tell funny stories and are, you know, genuine, genuinely attractive to people, uh, in your demeanor, in your speech, in your in your mannerisms, in your in your manners, of what's politics is simply the art of human relations, and so it is how we treat people that will be remembered. That's going to develop a positive image about our campaign. And then when you're going door to door, if you've done those things, then people will invite you to talk about issues. Oh, Rick. I know you. You talked at the coffee shop last week. I wanted to ask you a question. Yes, and then now we're talking about issues, right? But if I knock on somebody's door and they have no idea who I am, they're going to be pretty standoffish, right? Yep. We're, we're never going to get to issues at that point. So I've really got to work hard on getting my name ID done by being involved in the community, by getting myself introduced to a lot of people, by getting myself in front of audience, by advertising, by wearing my name tag consistently, by putting up yard signs. And unless you have a survey showing otherwise. Correct. If you are a candidate, your name ID is lower than you think it is. Yes, Ted Cruz's name ID was probably among all voters less than 10%. Yet everybody in the party who was an activist, it would have been more like 90 percent. So right. that's a big disconnect. So in, in California, let me give a quick example. Um, uh, if you're a member of the California State Assembly, you represent 180th of the state. 
uh, and uh, which is still pretty big, <laughs> which is still big in, in, in total numbers of mm. voters who you represent. Uh, it's one of the biggest in the country. But relative to the entire state, it's a tiny fraction. It's one eightieth of the state. And many state legislators would be surprised as to how few people actually know their name in their own district because the vast majority of people are not political. And it's political people who follow this more closely uh, who, by the way, elected officials tend to have political people around them. So their little bubble tends to overestimate both their name ID and their importance uh, uh, as well. And then when a candidate uh, who is a member of the state legislature decides, oh, I'm going to run for statewide office because I'm already a, a state legislator and that's an enormous advantage. They're not well known in their district and they are completely unknown outside of their district. So nobody really outside of your district particularly cares uh, that uh, that you happen to be you know, a member of the California State Assembly or even the state Senate, which represents one fortieth uh, of, uh, of the state. It reminds me of I worked in the Maine Senate, the state of Maine, for a short period of time, and we were working on a budget. And one of the senators had wandered into our, our our office, and he was all excited about the budget, and it was going to change everything. And it was just if and if people weren't if if the Democrats wouldn't go along, you know, this was just going to be terrible for them. And and everybody was for this budget, and you know, he just was declaring it from the rooftops. And so I brought him over to the West. I said, Senator, come over here to the window. When he comes over the window looking at me curiously and and we were looking overlooking a neighborhood because there was a neighborhood you could see it from from the state offices where we worked and i said point to the house that knows which vote's going on here today mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's like okay well you have a good point now i don't mean to be i don't mean to be cynical but you're absolutely right in terms of the bubble that's created in in the political world now the good news is if you're running say for if you are running for school board uh, chances are people don't probably know your opponent. They may have more name ID than you, but it's probably not significantly greater than than your own, even if you have, have zero name ID, because most people don't know the names of their school board members. And so in that sense, you're kind of starting from an even playing field, even though they may be on the school board and the people in their bubble and their circles know them, um, but not a lot of the voters know them. Right, and so if you're, and if you're a challenger, the number is even less, right? If, if you've yes. never run for office before, uh, you've never, even if you have run for office before, you might have some residual name ID, but probably not as much as you might think you do. That's right. But it's, but it wouldn't be the same as going up as a nobody against a well-established um, six-term U.S. senator, right? right. Who would right. have some significant name ID. Uh, school board members tend to have low name ID, even if they've served on the board for a long time. So if you are a challenger, that's probably less of a challenge than you would think of um, uh, is, you know, in, in, a, in a race where name ID, of course, is always important. So the lesson is don't be like Steve Forbes, uh, who, by the way, had a lot of great ideas sure and, and so on, you know, really th clearly a very, very thoughtful guy. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but the campaign was not as strong as he was. Uh, and, uh, and his campaign, as we cited the example in 96, went starting with attacking without going through the process that he really did need to go through uh, in order to uh, in order to for those contrast points to become credible. He didn't have that. So we start with name ID people. We have to get that name ID higher, uh, particularly for a challenger candidate. 
and chances are it's never as high as you think it is, so it always requires a tremendous amount of effort. Then around that, we build a candidate identity. What do we want the candidate to be known for? Uh, oh, that's the guy who uh, did a great job, but he's already on the school board and he's doing a great job. Or that's the that's the person who wants to get the new ball fields uh, you know, built at the, exactly. at the high school or, or whatever. There, there's some identity, and so we call that the, the bio phase of the, of the campaign, meaning name ID and that narrative. So what, walk people through your, your six point, uh, your, your six points to of six steps of political persuasion. So the name, the name ID again is, um, you know, just repeating your name. And now when you're talk when you are invited to speak early in the campaign, you're probably not going to have a whole list of, of issues that you're going to talk about. You're basically going to talk about your resume, right? And so you're just going to talk about yourself, where you grew up. You know, you're going to establish your roots in the in the community, what your experiences that, that relates to it, and you're going to be relatable. And so part that, of the challenge there is narrowing down which parts of your bio are you going to share. You can't share the whole story, right. so there has to be some. What are the key snippets of your background that you want people to know? So your name, and then what are the the a selective if you share 25 things no one's going to remember it but two or three key points that you want people to know yeah how are you going to brand yourself am i i'm a champion of education i'm a champion of community i raise a lot of money for charity you know what what it is what is it that you want people because people will shorthand in their mind oh he's about this you have to define what this is and only then once you've established that name id and that good that good image then you can talk about some of the issues that are impacting the race that, that people care about, that are relevant to them. And then you move on to the contrast phase. But keep in mind where you are in the campaign. If we're getting close to the end and you really haven't done these things, and you may have to jump ahead to do contrast, but it works much better if you just go through these phases, which means announcing early enough to, to get through the phases. So if you have a low name ID, which most challengers do, uh, you've got to spend time uh, getting that name ID and that image up there before you can talk about issues. So since uh, we're in an audio-only format, uh, if we were in video, we'd put a list of six items up on the screen. Real quick, one to six, what are they? Name Your name ID, an image, which obviously you want to be positive, issues, contrast, how you're different from the candidate, uh, defend, define, we meaning if you're going to get attacked, so you got to defend yourself, but you also want to define your opponent and how they're different from you. And if you do all those things, those will lead to your get-out-the-vote program because now you've given people the information they need to decide. And then previous to the election day, you can ask them where they come down for you or your opponent. And if you've done all these things very well, then people will be able to name you or your opponent uh, as the candidate that they're going to vote for. And you, of course, want to turn out the ones that have ID'd positive for you. And the voter contact at part of the campaign is where the bulk of the campaign resources go. It's the most important part of the of campaign course. because it's how we move, how voters are moved from where they are to where they need to be by through an educational and advocacy process. And so it's so important for the content of that voter contact program uh, to be as effective as possible and that means that there's a, a, a phase, a process of information that we have to share, one following the other, that name ID and bio, then moving on to issues, and then moving on to contrasting and, and, uh, and uh, defend and define. 
at the at the end. And it may not get to defend and def- define. It might if not. If you're running, if you're running thirty points ahead, uh, and uh, and your opponent criticizes you two days before the election, chances are you never have to defend against that because it's not going to have an impact. Yeah, and it's, it's it's how well you do it. Just think of a think of your issues part of the campaign as the ideas part of the campaign, and, and what you want is some an idea that's so big that you can sustain an attack on yourself. In other words, people say, "Yeah, I know what they say about Ron, but I like that thing he wants to do." And I'm really, I'm going to vote for it because it's the most important thing. Oh yeah, I've heard all those things about Ron, but I don't really believe them because what he's telling me that he wants to do, I want that too. Right. And so you're sustaining the attacks if you've gone through that big idea of the issues. You're connecting with something the voters already want. They'll tend to ignore attacks on a, on a candidate who is not only ideologically aligned with them, but promises to do something of which they want to have happen. Right. If you establish that strong connection with the voters on that vision, that big idea, they're, they'll cut you more slack. Uh, mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll give you the more, a greater benefit of the doubt when they hear an attack uh, than they might if they knew nothing about you whatsoever, in which case it would have, might have a disproportionately greater influence. And the inverse of that is if you're running against an incumbent school board member who doesn't have great ID, has does not have a really great positive image, and they don't really have any ideas, when you've gone through this phase and then you begin to contrast them, their campaign falls apart because they can't sustain the attacks because they're offering nothing to the voter. The voter, again, says, gee, I'd like to give them their keep let them keep their job but you know what they just can't even defend their own job the things that they've done and this other person's coming forward with all these great ideas and i've got to go with the the challenger rick we're out of time so thanks so much for for joining us Thank you, Ron. Um, our school board campaign training program is loaded with little bits of information like what you've gotten in this podcast today about the phases of voter contact in a campaign so we urge you if you're interested in taking the program, if you're interested in running for school board or helping someone who is, visit leadershipinstitute.org slash school board. This wraps up another episode of the podcast. The Leadership Institute is a nonprofit, nonpartisan foundation dedicated to giving conservatives the tools they need to fight and win in the public policy arena. If you'd like to support our work, you can make a tax-deductible contribution online at leadershipinstitute.org slash donate. I'm your host, Ron Nearing. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.